Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Anita J and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Today is Thursday, January 14, 2016. Overeaters Anonymous, oh, the reference number for yesterday's is 8379. And today we're going to be reading from the big book and we're going to be starting on page 22, that last paragraph. We know that while the alcoholic, and that, that paragraph is just for context. And we're going to focus our sharing on the next paragraph that ends with, he will laugh it off or become irritable and refuse to talk. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no positions on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Christine M. to read the 12 steps. Christine? Good morning, everyone. This is Christine M. from Missouri. Gratefully recovered, compulsive overeater. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation 
to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive readers and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you very much, Christine Ann. And I will now ask Nadia B. to read the Twelve Traditions. Good morning, everyone. This is Nadia B., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Um, the Twelve Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought to never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside, or outside enterprise leaves problems of money, property, and prestige diverted from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought to never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought to never drawn, be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for allowing me to do this service, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nadia B. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers it is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, 
press star 1 to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book at the bottom of page 22. And uh, that starts with we know that while the alcoholic keeps away. And that first paragraph is only for context and she will be focusing her sharing on the second, the second paragraph. And I will ask Chelsea H. to get us started. Good morning, Chelsea. Good morning, Anita. Thank you for your service. I'm Chelsea H. I'm a recovered compulsive eater just for today. We know that while the alcoholic keeps away from drink, as he may do for months or years, he reacts much like other men. We are equally positive that once he takes any alcohol, whatever, into his system, something happens both bodily and mental sense, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. The experience of any alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. These observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. If you ask him why he started on that last bender, the chances are he will offer you any one of a hundred alibis. Sometimes these excuses have a certain plausibility, but... None of them really make sense in light of the havoc an alcoholic's drinking bout creates. They sound like the philosophy of a man who, having a headache, beats himself on the head with a hammer so that he cannot feel the ache. If you draw this fallacious reasoning to the attention of an alcoholic, he will laugh it off or become irritated and refuse to talk. Okay, set my timer here. Okay. Um, I'm going to look to speak to this, that the problem lies in my mind, the main problem. For me, I have in this, next to this paragraph that this was an emancipation for me because this really set me free to be able to um, move forward with this work and to understand the desperation and how I really needed to keep the food down and to not um, to move on with the rest of the steps so that I wouldn't be convinced again to pick it back up because I needed that spiritual um, experience. And by nature, the 12 steps are spiritual, so that would give me the relief I need. But if I don't finish the rest of the work in time, my mind will catch up with me and convince me that it's okay to go back to the food. And it also speaks to me, too, of the twofold nature and how I cannot ingest anything that will cause me to eat compulsively or send the cycle into motion. And I have to be clear, what is entire abstinence for me? I need to be really clear about that, and I need to also understand that this is much more than a theory. If I just have, it said, the fallacious um, reasoning, that mistaken reasoning that somehow uh, someday that I'll be able to eat small amounts of things, that somehow someday I'm going to be able to have one or two slices or, or maybe I'll just be able to have a slither and things will be okay. I can't set the, Michael in, the cycle into motion because then I'm doomed 
and I would have a biological mandate to eat. And that is just the way that the nature of the disease is. And I can study this book from daylight to dark 30, and it would be academic. It would be pointless because if I don't implement the process after I finish so that I can have the experience, and then I'll know, and then I'll be able to practice. I'll be able to practice one day at a time implementing the underlying principles of all these steps. And definitely living in 10, which will, anything that comes up, I'll be able to use um, that 10th step to clear away any debris or anything that might pile up before it blocks off my, um, blocks me off from Didi. Because then I won't be able to do anything. If I don't have a power greater than myself that will be able, that I can turn to when things get rough or when I'm restless, irritable, or discontented, my mechanism, my wiring is to eat because that's my solution and to drink. So, therefore, I need to make sure that I walk through this whole process and receive the power of the steps so that my mind won't convince me that it's okay to go back and start the cycle into motion. With that, I pass. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you so much, uh, Chelsea H. Now, who else would like to comment on that second Tina paragraph? Tina F. Reva P. Leah M. Leah M. Just a minute. I have Tina, Renata, um, Leah M. But there was somebody before Leah. Reva P. Reva P. All right. And who else? Mary B. Mary B. Suzanne Melissa C. All right, just a minute. Lindsay and a Suzanne and somebody else. It was Lynette. Oh, Lynette. And Melissa C. Melissa C., I have you. Thank Vasa, you. Oh, I don't know if you heard me. No, I didn't. Thank you. <laughs> oh, that's right. I know I heard that, too. All right. This may not be exactly the right order, but it starts, we're going to start with um, Tina. Renata, Reva, Leah, Mary B, Lindsay S, Suzanne, is that, uh, and Melissa C, Vasa O, and Sarah W. So please start with um Go ahead, Tina. Uh, thanks, Anita. This is Tina S from Florida. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Great. Compulsive eater, anorexic, and uh, wow, some great paragraphs. I already heard some really great stuff shared. Thanks. Um, you know, one of the things that always caught my attention, you know, when I came around, I mean, Mac, you know, and I, this is just my story. I'm actually an alcoholic anonymous also, and, you know, readers anonymous, but, you know, I can remember people saying, you know, I don't have a drinking problem. I have a thinking problem. And I really didn't understand any of that because, you know, I thought that, you know, I was strong enough, mean enough. Uh, smart enough to take care of this on my own. And, uh, you know, and I like the, the word fallacious, you know, mistaken belief on based on unsound argument, you know, and I am the queen of unsound argument. And let me just tell you, because I think I know when I know I don't. And um, I also like what it talks about in the big book. It says, there'll come a time when I won't have a mental defense. So if I've got a thinking problem, and I don't have a mental defense, I'm screwed. And it also says that that power must come from, that um, when I don't have a mental defense, and that must come from a power greater than myself. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, the good news about this is, for me, 
I know that on my own I'm screwed and that I need a power greater than myself, whatever that may be. As long as it is not me, and that when somebody told me that, that was a revelation. As long as it was not me, then I might have a shot. I might have a shot at this one day at a time to live my life free from the obsession of the mind and the compulsion of you know, the obsession of the mind and the allergy of the body and the compulsions that go on. And this isn't only just for my eating. You know, I have many behaviors that have to do with my eating that I, I that I need to address on a daily basis. Anyway, um, I'm real grateful to be here, and this is some great stuff. And, uh, and thanks for your service. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you very much, Tina. And Renata, please go ahead. Good morning, Anita. Thank you for your service. Good morning, family. This is Renata G., Recovered Compulsive Reader in New York. Um, you know, this um, fallacious reasoning, you know, uh, the the main problem of the alcoholic center in his mind, I mean, that was my problem, you know, my thinking, like it was shared before. And, uh, you know, yesterday, on the other paragraph we read, we we read about how when we're abstinent, sometimes we may look like a normal eater. But see, this paragraph here also identifies me, someone like me, as being completely different from a normal person, normal eater. Because I don't know anybody who's a normal eater that thinks food is going to fix whatever's wrong in, you know, in their lives or in the world or whatever it is. You know, that was my problem. Like before going through the step work, my mind was so crooked that it would always convince me that food was the solution for whatever uncomfortable feeling or overwhelming emotion I had. Either it was, you know, fear or anxiety or anger or, you know, excitement about something. You know, if a boyfriend broke up with me, well, then I have to binge, you know. I have to binge my brains out, so that's going to make me feel better. You know, that's going to bring the boyfriend back. No, it's not. Like, it's so crazy. It's like it says here that, you know, like having a headache and beats himself over the head. You know, this morning I woke up and I was very, very sad to see, you know, more news about terrorist attacks all over the world and... Today would be a day that I would binge my brains out just to numb out and pretend nothing is happening, that it doesn't affect me, doesn't upset me. But because of this step work, I have sanity. I know that food is just food. It just gives me energy to go about my day. And then, you know, my, my reaction is like, how can I be helpful? What can I do? Maybe I can join a group that... It, anti-violence or something like that I don't know but you know I needed a power greater than myself to restore my thinking so I wouldn't think that food was the solution for every single thing in the world and it all started with entire abstinence like Chelsea was sharing without that my mind was not clear enough to really absorb what the steps had to offer me and to, you know, have that complete psychic change, that complete transformation. I'm really, really grateful for this program and for all of you. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you very much, Renata. And Reva P., please go ahead. Hi, Anita. Good morning. This is Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto. 
I so relate um, to this paragraph. I am this person. And what I want to talk about is the fallacious reasoning and how the problem centers in my mind. Um, So this reminds me that in my disease, um, I cannot differentiate the true from the false. And my reasoning was like this. Um, I'm angry at somebody. Um, I'm emotional. I feel happy, sad, whatever. Um, I need to numb out. I need to blot it out. And um, food is a step up. And food gets me totally fogged up. Um, And that is such false reasoning. You know, I'm angry at somebody. I think I'll binge at them. I think I'll hurt myself because I'm angry at so-and-so. When I talk about it now, it seems so insane, but it really made sense at the time. Um, And food was the solution to any discomfort, um, any uncomfortable feeling, which started off with a thought. Um, But as a result of working the steps and, you know, first removing the big blocks, um, in my step four or five um, and getting clearer, um, I can see that false reasoning for what it is. And this paragraph also reminds me why abstinence only will never work for somebody like me who's a real compulsive overeater. Because once the food is down, that's when the craziness begins. That's when those voices come that drive me nuts. I don't, I didn't know how to deal with all the voices that said, you're not good enough, he's a jerk, this is crap, Um, whatever it was, um, and food was the solution. So now, um, this morning, I realize I'm uncomfortable. I have been blessed with divine abundance in my work as a result of working the steps, and um, it scares and overwhelms me. So I need to do the step work around that, um, or, you know what, volume, sugar, White flower is going to feel like this makes sense. Um, So um, I'm grateful to know that it's not just about the physical allergy, but it's my mind that tells me um, crazy things. um, And I don't need to act on that anymore because I can um, tap into a power greater than myself um, who can help me with that. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much, Reva P. And Leah M., please go ahead. Thanks so much. Uh, These first two sentences, these observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, therefore, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem is in his mind. I mean, absolutely true. You know, I have an allergy of the body. There are certain substances, actually many substances, that once I ingest them, it's like taking a match and throwing it into a bucket of gasoline Whoosh! I get that phenomenon of craving. Uh, you know, my my body gets excited, and uh, you know, I just uh, can never get satisfied. And that is a bad problem. I do have that problem, and it's a bad one. But I have a much worse problem. You know, my my daughters have allergies. You know, uh, for instance, an allergy to fish. You know, and they'll you know, have difficulty with breathing, labored breathing and hives, et cetera, they don't need to go to Tuna Anonymous. Uh, you know, they, they realize they have an allergy. They realize it brings on pain and suffering for them, and so they just don't uh, ingest that substance. 
But someone like me, a real compulsive overeater, uh, the big book is suggesting I have a defective mind. It's inherently flawed, and I'm suffering from an obsession of the mind because because what is wrong with my mind? Why don't I learn from the consequences of my behavior? I've stopped thousands of times because of the pain and suffering of my compulsive overeating. But I forget. You know, I forget. It's, it's like my pain has no memory. I can't remember the tears of the night before. I can't remember the torture. I don't remember the threats of divorce. I don't remember the humi- humiliation and the shame. All I can remember is the sense of ease and comfort it, that's going to come at once after taking a, the first bite. You know, so the big book is going to repeat this information to me that you know, why don't I respond to humiliation? What is wrong? Why can I not connect the dots? And so that is the real issue here. Lots of people have allergies. Okay, so you accept that truth and you live by that truth. But someone like me, a real compulsive overeater, I don't want to believe that truth. I don't want to believe it. I want to focus in, you know, and self-destruct by my own hand under the guise of seeking ease and comfort of that first bite. And that is step one, the realization that I am doomed. And I'm not doomed because of the allergy of the body, but because of my mental obsession. And I begin to realize through the education of this big book that the only solution that will ever work with someone like me is a solution that gets rid of my mental obsession. And I know I can't do it by myself because Lord knows I have tried because I can't uh, stop the thinking that sends me back to those foods which beckoned me. I needed the 12 steps in order to lift that merciless obsession from me. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you very much, Leah M. Mary B., you're up. Good morning. This is Mary B., gratefully recovered today uh, from uh, Central California, but currently in Southwest Arizona. What great paragraphs, and thank you so much for your service, and thank you, everyone, who has shared this morning. Um, I think that, you know, I'm probably saying the same thing everybody else is saying, but just different words come to my mind that ease and comfort from that first bite. I don't remember the ease and comfort. I remember loving that food in my mouth, but always knowing I was in trouble once I started with that, um, with my binge foods. But I know why I turned to those foods time and again. It was for a distraction, a distraction from the obsessive thinking that I was in, whether it was a little girl who had been told that it's up to the children to keep their parents together, and my mother always threatening to divorce my father, so... It was always up to me to keep the family together. Or as a uh, woman who was in a very unhappy marriage and felt so trapped, I had three sons. They needed their father. There was no way out. I didn't know if I could work. I couldn't take the, the thinking anymore, and I would pick up the food. And Once I came into Overeaters Anonymous, And I picked up the food many, many times over those years. I knew, I knew I was in trouble. 
I had I would come running back. I would eat. I would binge. I would gain weight. I would go into all of the things that go with it and run back to the program to fix it. I always seem to put the program after the binge. And today, I have 10 years. I am uh, below my weight goal for at least nine years. And the difference for me today is that I have learned to put my program in front of the food. When I am so aware of my obsessive thinking, and it comes, I wrote about it last night, what is going on in my head today. I have 10, 11, and 12 to deal with it. I put the program first. I had been told, uh, fit the program into your, uh, fit the program into your life. But what I have learned to do is to fit my life into the program, and that's what works for me. So um, thank you, thank you for the opportunity to share this morning. Thank you very much, Mary B. And Linus, you're next. Good morning. This is Lynn S. from Toronto, Canada. This really speaks to me, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind. And I just think back to so many binges, especially just the more recent period when I was in relapse, and my mind would start. And it was always the same. It's 8 o'clock. You can make it to Loblaws before they close. You can get the rice pudding. And as I'm getting off the couch and getting dressed, there's another voice saying, you don't want to do this, but I'm, but I'm doing it anyway. And I was never doing it in dread or trepidation. I was doing it in absolute glee. And I can remember the feeling. I can almost feel it now because I'm going to get it. I'm going to get my drug. I'm going to get it. Get out of my way. Don't talk to me. And while I'm going to Loblaws to get that, I'm also planning that I'm going to stop at Pizza Pizza, then Metro's across the street, then I'll swing back around and come up through Shoppers Drug Mart, and Tim Hortons is beside there. And it just was this whole thing, but it was always the sense of glee. And from the moment I got the first thing and I was in the car, I started eating. And it it was amazing to me because I never thought of you know, what, what it's going to do physically to me. I never thought of what it was going to do mentally to me. It was just, I am going and I'm getting it and get out of my way. And it's um, it, it just, it, it, the fallacious reasoning and the irritated and refused to talk, that reminds me of my emotional symptoms now, like yesterday when I go from irritation to resentment to anger to absolute rage over what's happening in my day, what used to happen in program is if somebody mentioned those things to me, I'd become immediately irritated and refuse to talk and and wave my hands like to dust them off and just say, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to talk about that. So it's so interesting to me to see how the disease and it's a problem of the mind, is not just in my relation to food, but in my relation to every single thing that happens to me, people, places, things, all those, all those problems that I have in the day when I, that crop up, and if I don't work the program on them, which I didn't do yesterday, there was no step 10, no turnaround on any of those things, they become so huge that I can't stand it. 
and I just lost the last train of my thought, which was going to be really amazing, so I'll pass now. <laughs> Thanks very much. Well, higher power works in strange ways. Thank you. Thank you very much. And Suzanne, you're up next. Hi, Anita. It's Suzanne Kay. Thank you so much for your service. Can you hear me? Yes, perfectly. Okay, great. Um, and thank you to everybody who shared. Um, I needed to really share about this this morning, and thanks um, for everybody's comments and sharing. So it says the main problem centers in my mind. Uh, for me, I feel like my mind has a mind of its own, and I don't also feel like that I have a thinking problem because I just don't think. I do. And um, I'm at school, so you have to forgive me. I'm a teacher, so I'm kind of sitting in my classroom quietly listening as I prepare for the day. Um, But anyway, I just do. Um, And I'm not being mindful. I'm just being mindless. So um, this program is teaching me to do something, anything, but go to the food so that I can rewire my brain because my brain, I call it the stinking thinking it thinks and it causes me to do, but I have to rewire it. And this program with 12 Step teaches me to practice pausing and prayer and proceeding. And for today, I'm praying for willingness to do exactly what I need to do so that I can be, uh, achieve some wellness. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you very much, Suzanne Kay. And Melissa C., you're up now. Hi, good morning. It's Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, I, I, this um, problem that exists in my mind and not in my body, um, that, like, that took me a long time to really um, embrace and understand because I always thought the problem existed in, in you, you know, in in everybody, in everything external, there was always a valid reason in my head um, why picking up was a good idea, even though on some level I knew that it was going to bring me to the worst possible place. But, um, you know, but it always seemed in those moments um, logical if I was thinking, you know, there, there was some weird logic there. Or it was reflexive, you know, if I wasn't thinking. And, you know, my my journey in recovery um, had been like, um, almost like I was a child experiencing emotions for the first time. You know, when I would get abstinent, um, as soon as something would be uncomfortable, I, I would, before I'd even experienced the emotion, I was picking up again. And... Um, you know, and so really working my program of recovery um, and being entirely removed from my alcoholic foods and alcoholic food behaviors, um, it's almost like I'm a child experiencing emotions authentically. And um, and that's where I am so sure that the problem exists in my mind because I think I um, I am overly emotional. I am highly sensitive to all sorts of things, happiness, sadness, anger, fear, whatever it is. And so 
I really need this this program of recovery. Um, you know, even even this morning, it's snowing here, and um, and I dropped my son off um, at school, and you know, in the in the rushing of the morning, he forgot his coat, and you know, this would have been a perfect opportunity for me to shove something in my mouth, because even little frustration is like. Um, you know, it's all novel and all new for me. And, yeah, the problem exists in my mind, and so that's my powerlessness. That's truly step one for me. And the solution exists not in the food but in the steps. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you very much, Melissa C. And Vasa, please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, uh, Anita, for your service. And I am Vasa O, grateful, recovered, compulsive reader calling from Florida. And I, I can relate to this um, paragraph so well. If you ask him why he started on, okay, oh, no, the one before that. Um, therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. And it took me for a while, even though I was abstinent. I remember saying, you know, it starts with the food. It starts with the food. I thought that was my problem, but it really starts with them, with my mind. And if I don't think about it, then I'm not going to put it in my mouth. But I had to really work very, very hard to recoil from certain things that uh, were causing me pain, in you know, with the food. And again, I learned I needed to be hundred percent away from those substances. Uh, and to work the the rest of the steps, my Abby said to me, "You can start Vasa right now from today." And I was not even—I didn't even go to my first meeting. Yet. I hadn't gone to a meeting not till like a week later. And uh, you know, she talked about the allergy, the mental obsession with the mind, and it terrified me. It really did because it was real for me. I could identify and I could understand. I said, you know, if I don't do this, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to die. And again, she said, I need to find a power greater than myself before I could do this. And it's not like I didn't try to do this by myself for many, many years. I did. I couldn't do it by myself. So I was just so ready to hear the message. I was just so ready to, to just to surrender to the program, to a power greater than myself, which I call God, and the 12 steps, I, you know, I didn't want to die. But anyway, this morning, my son and my daughter-in-law, the baby, came down to visit us from North. While I was lying down here, I made something for them, their favorite food that we used in our family for years. I was not even thinking about it when I was making it, but this morning in my bed, I said, oh, it would be so nice. If we, if I could just have this, and this goes with that, you know, and right away, you know, my novas don't even go there, and I, this comes from God. This comes from working the steps, you know. That's poison for me because I have the allergy. They can have it. They can eat it, you know, but I can't. So I'm just so grateful. I mean, I could have I ate over anything, happy, sad, about anything. And uh, so 
So, but the 12 steps is the solution. It's not thinking just with the food and thinking about my life, you know, uh, that I live life without running to the food for comfort. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you. Thank you very much, Fasa O. And Sarah W., it's your turn. Good morning, Anita J. Thank you for your service. This is Sarah W., very grateful recovered compulsive overeater. I'd like to welcome anybody that's new on the line that's a newcomer. Um, you know, for me, the idea that there is a solution is so, so fabulous. I mean, the thought that, you know, I, I can finally understand what my problem is, you know, because many of us come in and we're overwhelmed with the idea of our weight, but we really don't understand what it is that has brought us to this place. Um, for me, the paragraph and what's been talked about, and I can say ditto to everybody, is that somehow this time is going to be different. This time I'm going to do it different. This time it'll be different because for some reason I don't remember what happened last time. And I, you know, for me, most of the time my eating behaviors, most of the time, not always, but most of the time have come about because I didn't like what was going on in my life, because I felt overwhelmed, afraid, uncomfortable, um, lonely. Uh, You know, most of the time I wasn't even able to name the feeling. And somehow what always happened to me with food was that it was the solution to those things. Somehow it gave me a moment of peace, but then afterwards I had the guilt and shame from the food, and on top of that I still had the same problem. And I think, you know, I just started a meeting, and um, we had seven people last night. It was really good. And most of those people were recovering alcoholics that had a lot of sobriety but were very new to the program. And I think so many people want to come in and use this as a diet. And what I have to say focusing on what we're talking about is that, you know, we have to get to a place where we can see to our innermost self that we have an obsession of the mind and an allergy of the body. And that if I just start to look at it as a diet, it's not going to work. You know, if we, you know, that's like the alcoholic saying, I'm going to put down everything but beer and I'm going to keep drinking beer. Uh, we're still going to have the issue come up. And so many people don't want to look at that. And it really does, you know, half measures avail us nothing. Half measures avail us half measures or half half solutions. And for me today, I want the solution. And yesterday, uh, I had an issue with a work issue. And I know I'm going to be, I don't know exactly how long I've been speaking, but, um, you know, where I was asked to do more work for today, and I started getting into anxiety and fear, and I was able to pause for a moment and call somebody and do a 10-step, and it really helped me enormously, and I think one of the things that I would say as we are walking through the steps and trying to get abstinent, or trying to get abstinent in the first step, we need to start talking about what's going on with us, and that helps enormously with another person, and with that, I pass. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah W. All right. Virginia C. Virginia C. Virginia C. 
Gail P. <clears throat> Who else? James. James. This is Raquel. Raquel. All right, let's let's go with these four. Um, Virginia, Gail, James, and then Raquel, and then we'll see what time is left. Please go ahead, um, Virginia. Thank you, Anita. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, hi, this is Virginia C., recovered compulsive overeater in New York. Um, this paragraph is just making me think think about um, when it talks about why you went, you know, on that last bender. It just makes me think about the the journey that I've had. Um, I've not been in OA very long, only a couple of years, but you know, I remember before OA, it would never occur to me to even think about why I was eating sugar and compulsive overeating. Like, it never occurred to me that was something out of, out of my mind. It was just like, oh, I really like it and I want it. And then, you know, when I started in OA and I began to read the big book and, and hear everyone talk about their experience, that's when... It changed for me, and I started thinking about it and things like, well, oh, I'm eating. Oh, okay. I, I, know, I know why I'm eating now. I'm eating because I'm unhappy or I'm eating because I'm, I'm mad or resentful or I'm lonely. Okay, that's why I'm eating. But, but you know what? I'm going to eat it anyway because I don't know what else to do. I'm just going to eat it. But I know that's why. And then it sort of transitioned into... You know, why am I eating this? Oh, I know why I'm eating this. I really shouldn't be. I really need to be doing something else right now. And now, now I've been through the recovery, and by the grace of God, now I'm able to, when any type of thought comes up, I'm able to stop and ask those questions before and say, why am I feeling like I want something why do I feel like I want to pick up? Oh, it's because I just had a fight with my husband or I just yelled at my kids. And the difference is now I'm inspired to think, well, what can I do differently? And many times that's taking a 10 step. And I had an experience last night where that came up. And I'm just so grateful for the fellowship and the people in my network that last night when I needed it very badly to do a 10-step very late at night. Someone was there for me. And it's just it's such a great feeling to know that we are there and supporting each other through all of our, you know, ups and downs with the struggle with this disease. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, um, Virginia. And Gail P., it's your turn. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. This is Gail T. from Texas, and I'm out of my 30-day silent meditation retreat high in the mountains, and I'm back in Texas. And it was this incredible experience not to be able to journal or to call and, uh, you know, to just really be meditating and praying. And before I got into this program, and I have mentioned this a lot, I never worked 10 and 11 and 12. I knew 
when I was angry or resentful to some degree, but I never knew that that's what drove me to eat because I did not know how to identify or handle being irritable, restless, and confused, etc. So when I was in this retreat, I had to sit what meditation sit with whatever the meditation provoked. And I want to let you know that I had the best New Year's because I got to feel all the hatred, the anger, and rage that I have about a lot of things. Now, I'm not identified with that. I don't think of myself as Gail as this hatred, hateful person, but I have those emotions. And I was able to sit with it and let it burn off without eating. And it was marvelous. And how I used the tools was to sit there and, I guess, structure these feelings that were coming up and be able to hang with them and be with my higher power in the discussion of them or for my higher power to display what was going on and what was my part and how I could let go. And it was great. So for all newcomers, do not be scared of those emotions that we're told not to have because we all have them. And that to face into them is the great revelation to, I would say, the gateway to heaven. So with that, I pass, and I'm so glad to be back in our meeting. With that, I pass. Thank you very much, Gail T. And James, it's your turn. James, you can Good morning, everyone. Back. James yeah. uh, from, from Ohio, James C. from Ohio, um, recovered compulsive overeater. Appreciate this call. Appreciate what has been said. Um, just want to touch on, I and many people have commented on this, but this is, this is good. Um, therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in the mind rather than in the body. And um, if you ask him why he started, he, he will basically... I'm just going to add lip this. Basically, he just says he will offer you many hundreds of alibis. And I thought about that. As, I was thinking about how, you know, prior to this program, how yeah, I've lived in a, a secret life, a life of shame, a life of, um, I should say, disregard for some things that were, you know, really to my best benefit to be at service for anything or anybody. Um, it showed up in my relationships, whether it was marriages or whether it was in friendships. Um, in my fourth marriage now, I've, I've, I've never had a friendship that probably lasted longer than probably a couple of years at best. Um, a lot of it just due to um, self-sabotage and, self, and, and just degrading um, poor choices in life. But anyway, that's just part of the compulsive behavior. But with that being said, um, you know, I, I was thinking about how my past failures and, and, and past memories, what that actually felt like. And you know, I, I all you know, any given day, I could have a, a hundred thoughts that go through my head, and and they're unsolicited thoughts. They're just things of the past, experiences. They're um, self poor self appraisals, um, misguided opinions. They're broken promises. They're failures. They're embarrassments. Things I got caught, discovered in. You know, the the, the list just goes on. And there's a lot of reasons why I would why I would go to the food or why I would go to some other compulsive behavior that would that got me into a mess, and it just built up and built up. And I I just want to say that um, you know I thank God for this program because I 
you know, the, the tragedy in all of this is that if we follow what's going on in the mind, you know, the program afforded us or affords me the ability to do with the experience I've experienced. I've had, now, this is a humble opinion. I'm not long in the program, but I have the victory. If, if that thought goes through my head, it no longer hits a target. And, and the reason I say that is because I've taken to heart and I've taken serious step three. He has made, well, I have made a decision to turn my will in my life over to the care of God as I understood him. And the better that understanding comes to light and the stronger that understanding is in reality, who cares if, if a thought goes through my head now and, I, and it doesn't hit anything? It's like fighting a war because somebody shot a missile in your airspace. These thoughts do not have to hit the target. The target has been removed through the program of action, through the power of God, and, and the difference that God has made in my life. This thing is serious, is effective, and it works. If you put it to action, and, you, and, you, and we, we understand what the problem is. I, 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 have a, I have a resume of failures. I have, a, I have an incredible story of, of defeats. But I now have something that I, you know, that takes me beyond that, and I can now use those things that were once I was shameful of, those feelings of, of dread, those feelings of saying, "Man, I've failed in that before. I'm fearful before." Well, anyway, they know they can now become our, our, our how can I say, it? our testimonies for helping others. Thank you. With that, I pass. Take care. Thank you so much, James. Very much. And Raquel, you'll be our last share. Please go ahead. Hello, this is Raquel. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. Good morning. Hi. So much for this service, and thank you, everybody. Such precious things are being said. And, uh, you know, actually, I, I, I want to claim my seat and be part of you. Claim my phone, my phone line. It is so good to hear the various, how this plays itself out, like in a prison, in different colors in everybody's life, where it says, like in the previous um, paragraph, uh, that um, um, that we are like everybody else, much like other men, and um, we're equally positive that once it takes the alcohol, that, you know, and compare, in comparison to what he said here, that it's the, uh, the difference is in the mind, I, I have to still figure it out, but... If it is in my mind, you know, and I know that my mind does not work like other people's minds, um, and it's there all the time because I, I I feel different about things, and something helped me the other day that maybe, you know, repeating it will, will help somebody else too. Um, uh, somebody said that we're like a person who has a sunburn under the shirt. If somebody bumps into someone in the elevator... Uh, well, you know, they say, sorry, excuse me, didn't mean to, and the person says, you know, never mind, it's okay. But if somebody has an awful sunburn under his shirt, full of blisters because he spent uh, on the beach between uh, between 1 and 3 o'clock, he was lying there, and I know it happened to me, happened to my kids once in a while. We are in the Mediterranean, uh, so then if, if he, he'll start screaming like, uh, I would start screaming like a maniac if somebody bumped against me because of the pain, and it would be so out of proportion, my reaction to the stimuli, uh, no proportion. But I think that I'm walking around in the world with sensitivity, 
part of my thinking, thinking is due to that sensitive oversensitivity that my soul has a heart has a sunburn on it. So to come to the point that I can maybe heal some of it and react more like normal people most of the time is um, is really the work of God, you know, and it doesn't happen overnight. But uh, I, I accept it now that I am different in that way too, not just how food and I interact, certain foods, and that's out already out of the question, but the way that I interact with the world, with things that don't bother other people, and that, you know, being with, with all of you helps me know that I'm not alone, and that itself is very soothing. So thank you very much for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you so much, Raquel. Um, thank you to all who have shared. Um, we're now going to... Um, and please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And we're now going to close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. So will Kathy Kay please read A Vision for You? Thank you, Anita. <clears throat> the book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. Be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.